0: Welcome to episode one of the Hello Blink Show. This episode is called Starting Something New. Sean and I talk about our history starting this show itself, our experience starting our own businesses, and the conversations that we've had with friends and colleagues who have done the same. We're also going to give you an idea of what you can expect in this show moving forward, the types of
1: things we're going to discuss, and what to expect from our guests. Welcome to the practical podcast for technical people who want to start their own company. From founding to building your business, we're here to help. I'm Sean Hemel. And I'm Harris Kenny. This is the Hello Blink Show. We're gonna start with what's new, something that we're working on. So Sean, what have you been working on lately? So what have I been working on? I The last week I have been working on a contract for a guy that makes security cameras for the city of New Orleans. And I am getting back into writing C++ code. I've done pretty much exclusively Arduino for my entire time at SparkFun, which is kind of C++. If you've ever used Arduino, they kind of hide all the details and they leave out all of the new and interesting features that have been in C++ since like, c plus plus 11 or what's the other one 17 where they have templates and all these things where you can like pass types and the auto function or the auto feature where the compiler just knows what type of an object is and it just passes that back to the caller so it almost works like python now but with a lot more words involved so if you don't know what you're looking at it's really gross but then you realize like oh they're kind of make it they're trying to make it more Python like or another language that just auto adapts to what you're trying to type. And I'm really enjoying it, but it's definitely new and a little bit of a struggle for me, but it's a lot of fun to get back into an actual development contract since I've been doing pretty much nothing but marketing for the last four years or so. And it's a lot of fun. I'm learning CMake. I'm learning new C++ stuff. I'm finally writing my own class again, which was, fun and interesting, Um, but it's really about learning some of these new C++ features that I didn't know and these build systems. And also Microsoft's C++ REST SDK, that is their library that is built on top of Boost, so it's a heck of an install, but then it gives you access to all of the, like, reading and writing your REST APIs to get stuff from the internet. If you want to make, say, an IoT server or an IoT client, it's fantastic and it handles doing things like JSONs for you. So yes, that is what I've been working on. It's been a lot of fun getting back into code and getting my hands dirty. What about you, Harris?
0: Well, you know, we wrapped up 2019. I was pretty heads down in client work. I was working on some pretty big projects. And so being able to tie those up, do the handoff for one project in particular for the client to be able to take on all the documentation and the process work that we put into, you know, how they're using their CRM, how they're going to be engaging with customers, the sales cycle, and basically just sort of tying a ribbon on that and freeing up my mental space here in the new year. Uh, I got a chance to go to a place called SolderWorks, which is in Westminster, just outside of Denver. And it was really fun. They had this pitch night and there were four different Groups, startups, basically pitching what they were working on, and there was an open conversation after, and I got a chance to hear people really solving really niche problems that I hadn't heard about, and it was really fun to get those fresh conversations, meet new people, get some new context. it really reminded me what's fun about doing what I do, which is that you know I can pick different projects and learn from different people. And you know, one company is doing something for you know, audio impairment. Another solution was a toy for kids. Another product was something that's being developed for first responders, especially in wilderness first aid and fire. And it was just really, really neat to be in that context and learning from founders how they're thinking
1: about what they're doing. And so feeling energized for sure. So is this how you shop for new clients? You go to the events like this and you see what people are making? It's part of it.
0: These types of events are tend to be very early stage, and so these are not necessarily companies that are gonna be ready to be working in terms of what I tend to do. Uh, I do have like advisory clients where they'll be earlier stage, but this is really, I think, just kind of getting the, getting good energy and just getting kind of getting connected with folks and hearing what they're working on. It, it's a small world, and I like to be able to maybe facilitate introductions. If, you know, I know a VC or an attorney or an accountant, somebody that might be able to be helpful for some of these folks who are really early on. Um, so that, that for this event was kind of what that looks like. A lot of them, these businesses are very early on still. Um, but they are thinking about go to market and they could be in a place where six to 12 months from now they're looking at bringing on distribution partners and, you know, formalizing which trade shows they're going to and, and when they're ready to ramp up. So, You know, but I also really just like meeting new people. Um, So it's a little bit of sales, but more fun and and may lead to something down the road.
1: Okay, so it's kind of the same way I view, say, Hackaday Supercon, right? I love going to this. I get to see really cool projects, all the new tech things. You know, maybe I'll get some business cards and maybe it leads to something down the road. But specifically, Hackaday Supercon there aren't too many companies that go to that. So it's, I end up working with a lot of companies who are more established, right? My my big clients right now are DigiKey and Microsoft and I'm doing videos for them. And I met them through maker fairs and these other type of conferences. So it those did work ultimately to be a good networking event for clients. But like you, like Supercon is more for fun networking, meeting cool people and seeing what they're working on. So. And I like that it's a local event for you. I don't know if I have anything like that in New Orleans. I'll be honest, I haven't looked too much. There's a couple of um, startup-y kind of things, but it's mostly super focused on software side where I try to tend towards more of the hardware stuff. I was gonna ask, what kind of things do you look for? You're more hardware, right?
0: I do like hardware. I've worked with software companies before. I've worked with services companies before. Like a client of mine runs a gym, but i do enjoy the hardware projects especially Uh, there's something tangible about it i think there's like this series of very difficult questions that you have to ask early on if you're designing and developing a hardware product versus software product where in software you can make changes later much easier and i think in hardware you really have to think about what's your feature set what's going to be on that board what does the customer need to be able to do? There's just certain, you know, packaging, there's just certain constraints with hardware that make it more difficult, but also I think create constraints with hardware that I think really force the creators to be closer to the customers. And that closeness with the customers and focus on value creation, to me, is a lot of fun. Sometimes with software, it feels a little detached and it's like, oh, we can change that later. We can ship that later. Uh, And I know that's not strictly true, but just that's what it's felt like for me in some of my work uh, over the last
1: you know, few years. Absolutely. Yeah, with software, you can always go back and add patches, or I take that back. You can many times go back and add patches. Certainly if you're, you know, I guess even if you're launching something to space, usually they maintain some kind of radio connection that you can do firmware upgrades, but if something goes wrong, it's more catastrophic. Um, was it the Boeing Starliner I was just listening to uh, one of the my, one of my newscasts about that, and they had to bring the capsule back down to Earth because they messed up one of the timers on it, and so it wasn't able to dock with the space station to deliver, I guess, supplies and also Christmas presents, um, which I found amusing. But, oh my gosh! But they were able to recover the capsule, so I mean, that's what I understood, which is super cool.
0: That's cool. Yeah, you know, and I mean, software is tough in its own ways. Being able to do anything presents its own challenges. That also can be. you know, in software, if you can do anything, you can also maybe put off some planning conversations that are important. And then if you don't have those customer interview conversations ahead of time, when you get to shipping your product, all of a sudden you have a different form of chaos, right? So I think it's the grass is always greener (laughs) on some level. Um, But I I just, I like hardware. I like the demos. I like the physical products. I like the robots and the motors and the belts and the pulleys. And, you know, when things are just doing
1: things, Uh, it is just fun. Absolutely. And my favorite is a lot of times doing firmware to make hardware do interesting things, right? Just, I, I want to see that physical thing move. I absolutely love that. Yeah. there's. I don't think there's
0: anything quite like it. I was unboxing a client's product, a testing robot, and there's just something about the unboxing process that's really fun. And when you you know get that kind of fresh smell and you plug it in for the first time, you fire it up, and you hear how the machine breathes and moves, it, it is a lot of fun. Um, but... Let's jump into what we're going to be talking about today. And our main discussion for today is starting something new. So I'd love for us to start with just kind of the big picture. It was there were a lot of digital events for Open Hardware Month, and then there's going to be the, the in-person Open Hardware Summit in the spring of 2020. And I'd reached out to you because I wanted to see about doing something related to the growth side of these businesses, sales and marketing side of open hardware businesses, because we've both worked in it before and done it before. And it seemed like there was a potentially value in having a
1: conversation around that. So I reached out and asked if you'd be interested. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I I was all over that because this is something that I've tried to discuss, right? Tried to get people interested in doing the content marketing side, the business side of things. Every time I've proposed that kind of talk to a lot of these technical events. Oh, except for the KeyCon. They they liked that there because KeyCon was so new. And I had, you know, I don't think I had a huge turnout. I didn't pack the room, but there were a few key individuals in that talk who came up afterward and just wanted to pick my brain about some of the marketing side. And these are technical people who are at KeyCon. It's all hardware, right? People were doing KeyCAD to create these prototype PCBs. And there were a few people there who had startup companies or they were looking to create theirs. And so as soon as they went to creating their company, it suddenly dawns on them that they need to care about the business and marketing side. And I think a lot of engineers who are used to working in a corporate environment, you get you become a corporate engineer, right? Your your job is to just build stuff, whatever that is, whether it's software, hardware, you know, maybe you're a project manager, you're just concerned with delivering an item and meeting requirements and building out specs. And it's a lot of fun, but as soon as you go to make your own device, your own software, you suddenly realize you start having to care about what's my business model. Do I need to be an LLC or S Corp? Do I, how do I pay my taxes? How do I market stuff. And I had a good conversation with a few people or several good conversations with a few people after that talk. And every time I've tried to submit that talk to other or similar talks to other technical conferences, it never goes well because I get it, right? They want to keep the conference very technical. And, you know, they're like, oh, you should go to like South by Southwest and, and submit this. But I'm like, that's not my audience. My audience are these technical people who don't know they need this information yet, but are probably considering spinning off their own business. So I was very excited to chat with you during this webinar. Is that what we called it? A a virtual hangout, a virtual talk or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I
0: think we, I don't know if we ever picked a name and we, we, what the really main thing that we saw was that people were interested, but they were like, oh, I can't make that one time or, you know, this sounds good, but I've got a lot going on. And Can you send me notes after? We even got picked up on Adafruit, Adafruit was posting about it on their blog and on Twitter. And so it seemed like there was interest, and the event itself went well. We had good turnout, good conversation, but it seemed like more people were interested than were able to make it. So there was a format issue in terms of how we were delivering it and how we were having the conversation. And so then when we did our little debrief chat talking about how it went, what went well, what didn't go well, We both basically came to that conversation being like, hey, we think podcast is probably going to be the right format to facilitate these types of conversations in the future. And, you know, Sean, you've got tons of background in content as well. And so you had a lot of ideas for how we could do that and produce it. And we're both starters of things and so it didn't I don't think it took a lot of convincing from either of us of us to start something. <laughs> and so we've been working on putting these together and talking and lining up different guests and so that that was really how the show came to be and I think where we see this moving forward is just like you said a show for technical people who are looking to start their own project, their own business, maybe not right away, maybe in the future, but there's that whole process of how do you actually do that? And that's the type of conversation we want to have here. We want to talk with people who are doing it, uh, we are about to do it, have already done it and been successful. And that's the type of conversation we want to
1: facilitate on the Hello Blink show. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, you nailed it in that we want to chat as part of this discussion. You and I talk about certain things that we've learned, what we've done to help people give advice. But we also want to talk to other people, other founders. And I, I like to view it as elevating their voices or giving them a platform to tell their stories on, because they certainly have perspectives that I may have never realized. And maybe you haven't either Harris, and it's super useful to see somebody who's done their own startup, right? Harris, you and I have our own companies, but I do not produce a product. I mean, with the exception of maybe my online class, which is, it's not software. It's, you know, purchasable content and that's, got a very different scaling and advertising model than say I want to make a widget, I want to make a physical thing. So I want to talk to people who have made those physical things. I want to talk to them about the manufacturing, the marketing, you know, you know, do you just sit on a forum or do you buy ad space? What's worked for you in this and what hasn't? And I want to hear their stories as well. Absolutely. And every business is different. Everyone's learning in different
0: areas. You know, and I think sometimes these conversations, they don't happen out in the public because I think people are nervous about sharing what's working in case a competitor might hear it or that, you know, maybe somebody will hear it that works for a platform and they'll change that feature because of how, you know, they're using social media or some type of ad to get in front of the right customers. And and maybe the platform itself isn't monetizing that. And so they're like, hey, no, we'd rather have you pay money than get that for free. And so I think, you know, the nice thing about these smaller scale businesses and projects is that you don't have as much of that fear about sharing. You have so much more to gain from sharing and learning than you have to lose from it. And I think that's probably true for bigger organizations as well. But that's a conversation for another day. But it's very clear, I think, for the for the founder, for the first time starter, that there's a lot more information that they don't know than they do know. And there's a lot of benefit from just being in that barter sort of economy
1: of knowledge and tips and tricks and things like that. You also bring up a good point about the idea of sharing. And I would say both of us are open source advocates where, for me, I I try to use open source as much as possible, right? And I say that and I will laugh because I'm currently on a Windows machine. mostly because I still play video games every now and then, so it's just easier for me to run a Windows machine, but I do do dual boot into Linux when I need to use Linux stuff, and especially open source hardware. I love the idea of sharing knowledge and sharing things that just help other people, so I think some of this was trying to, in a way, open source some of the marketing and business side for people to help them out. Yes, exactly, and the show
0: itself is going to be under an open license as well, and I think our hope is that not only will the show facilitate open conversations, it'll facilitate open businesses who can share their own insight and their own knowledge, whether that's you know being in the fashion industry or electronics, content creation. You know We've got some interviews lined up with people who are solving lots of really interesting different problems. And it'll be really fun to see how much they can share and how much they can open up, or at least they may be facilitating some opening up for their customers. Yeah. Well, I think that covers the show and what we're hoping to achieve here. Uh, Sean, do you want to just explain what Hello Blink is if someone isn't familiar, if they don't literally know what that means?
1: (laughs) Sure. We were trying to come up with names for the show, and this one kind of stuck as far as a a, uh, kind of an inside joke. If you are a technical person and you've done any sort of coding or embedded systems, you're probably familiar with the idea of Hello World, which was... A very simple program that a lot of times when you're first learning a new language, the very first thing they will have you do is print out the word, print out the phrase, hello world. And I think this dates back to the seventies or eighties. You'll have to, I'd have to bring it up on Wikipedia defined, but it's a very old way of just seeing if the basic input and output system of a computer works. So, you know, and it's usually a couple lines of code for most programming languages just to print something to the screen and hello world just kind of stuck. So that's the hello part. And then Blink is the Hello World version for embedded systems. So if you've ever played with say an Arduino or an AVR chip or a PIC or something like that, because there's no console or keyboard or anything where you can physically print Hello World, at, at least till you get to the point where you're you know, piping serial information back to your computer or you attach an LCD, the easiest thing you can do more often than not is just toggle a pin on and off. And what a lot of programmers and embedded electronics people will do is they attach an led to this pin and they just make it blink say once per second and that kind of becomes the hello world of the embedded genre and so we just combine those two things because we're doing both hardware and software it's it ends up being hello blink so of course we have to put show behind it because this is a podcast and so we end up with hello blink show perfect
0: and it's also for us a little bit of a test too we put this out there and we see if people listen if they're interested and and then if so, I, I could see us really building on this show being a good foundation for starting lots of other conversations. And, and we've talked about together co-submitting talks for conferences and doing maybe some in-person activation and getting people physically together to talk about and think about these things and network with each other too. And so the, the show itself is a little bit of a hello blink for this idea of do we think that people are interested in talking about this with us? We think so, and we'll find out. Okay, cool. Uh, So I'd like to start this guided conversation about starting something new is not maybe where most people think. I think most people immediately think about talking to a lawyer or talking to an accountant or maybe even filing a patent if they've got a hardware idea that they think should be patented. Actually, where I'd like to start is really within because I think that this decision to start your own business or start a project that you think could really become something bigger is a mental and emotional journey first, and then it proceeds to those more practical things. And just a little reflection I've done on this is that I think that a lot of times, you know, we feel like we're in the passenger seat if we've got this idea of something we wanna work on, but maybe we're working for someone else, for another business or maybe a government agency or whatever our job is, and It sort of occurs that what if what would it look like if we were in the driver's seat what if we could really choose how we spend our time and what's important and what we think is the most important thing to be working on and then once we have that idea go work on it and there's sort of that longing for what if I could be at my own cadence operating with my own set of what I think is important and then be able to operationalize that and not have to sit in more meetings or ask for permission or approval from a lot of people and I think it initially feels like something that's something that we don't have. It, we're in the passenger seat looking at other people who are in the driver's seat, wondering what it would be like if I were there. And I think there's a breakthrough moment that has to happen where you realize that actually, no, I am in the driver's seat. I am in control of where I go and how I spend my time to a degree. Obviously, there's complexity here you know, around income and home responsibilities and physical ability and all of that. But just sort of taking on aside for a minute, we generally have the ability to make decisions about what we're doing. And so you realize that actually I'm in the driver's seat and I wanna do something different. And I think that is the first step of realizing, look, I think if I put my mind to this and if I write that code or submit that paperwork, if I do this, it'll work, I can get some traction. And you have to believe that first because if you think it's pointless, then you're never gonna take the first step. So, Sean, that was where I wanted to start things off. And I don't mean to be all self-help, new-agey, but I, I really think when I talk to people over the years who are thinking about this, and for myself too, but weren't ready, I often find that that's actually the real barrier that's preventing them from moving forward with their next step of their thing, whatever that is. What do you think about that? And am I just sort of Dr. Phil here?
1: <laughs> no, that's great. I, the other thought that I had in relation to How do you know that you're in the passenger seat right i think that's the first thing to recognize is there is a desire i think for most people to say i want to be in the driver's seat but how do you recognize that you're still in the passenger seat and you know sometimes it's totally okay to be in the passenger seat right you know you come out of school for me and i think there is benefit to working a corporate job and just getting that experience and understanding that this is how the corporate world works. And there's certain things you need to know, like, you know, what does it mean to answer emails in a timely fashion, right? You learn that pretty quickly working in a corporate environment, Um, how to hold meetings and all of these things that are good. And sometimes you don't wanna stay in that and sometimes, or sometimes you wanna have a side project. And I think a lot of times for most technical people, and I would say most people in general have had the experience of having an idea and then seeing it come to fruition by somebody else's efforts sometime later, right? Countless times I have seen something on TV or seen something happen and man, I had that idea two years ago and you recognize that that was a first great. You had an idea, but then you didn't do anything with it. So to be successful, it's all about the execution. A lot of times there's, I remember I was at a hackathon, uh, it was a it was pebble rocks boulder pebble the watchmaker who i don't think is a thing anymore they had this two-day hackathon in boulder and it was a lot of fun me and three friends went and we basically created pokemon go in watch format we hooked up an Adafruit gps to the watch wrote some code and depending on your location, it would give you certain monsters you could capture. And it was a real simple prototype. You just pushed a button and you would capture this monster. And it was, you know, we were like, oh, we'd have this fighting system. And it would be like, it was basically Pokemon Go. And we just didn't realize it. And the reason was is because Pokemon Go had not even been announced yet. The icing on the cake was we write this project up. It's on hackster.io. You can see our submission to the hackathon. We got like, crowd favorite or something. They did a lot of fun prizes. I really liked the way they did that hackathon. And literally three days later, Niantic announces Pokemon Go. And we're like, oh, look, they did it, right? (laughs) So, right, you know, we're not, and we didn't take it any further than that because we're like, we're not going to compete with Pokemon Go, right? They had a full team working for years to make this happen. So, You know, that was an instance of, like, we did kind of do something, but, of you know, it wasn't going to be a monetized effort. We weren't going to take it much beyond that, especially since another company had already done it with more people, more effort, more money. And I think that's the kind of idea is, you know, making something happen, starting something, not just, oh, I've got an idea, because that's not going to go anywhere. How do you actually get into it? And a lot of it, I think, stems from fear, this idea that I... I can't do it because I Y, Z, I don't have the time. I don't have the money. Somebody else is already going to do it. It's not a good idea. And I also want to ask you in from your perspective, Harris, what, I don't want to say a good idea versus a bad idea. What constitutes an idea that you've seen that you think would be something other people would buy? How do you determine if your idea has market is marketable?
0: Well, I mean, you look at the things that are for sale on the Internet, and I think there's basically a market for anything and everything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to give me an example? This is a 3D printer company that had a little competition with a file for a Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton. And it was a remixing. It was MakerBot did this on Thingiverse and somebody turned that t-rex skull into a shower head (laughs) yeah (laughs) because you can because you can because you know 3d modeling and it's the future so they took you know basically what the way the shower head design works is that there's a little um mouth that goes kind of through the mouth and then out the out the teeth where the where the water sprays through and they posted it online and, you know, I had a, a friend who they had their own business. Uh, actually, it was a former colleague who went and she started her own business and she was doing print, print services and things like that using her 3D printers. And she sold that in an online shop and it did reasonably well. Well, then a couple years later, another former colleague had been at a brick and mortar retail shop and saw that same exact T-Rex showerhead in a vacuum formed, you know with a with a label and a brand name and everything in a brick and mortar store and that thing had gotten like all the way through to traditional distribution in a in a normal you know retail environment and so you know i mean if someone had an idea of turning a skull into a shower head and that th- that can make it all the way to brick and mortar distribution globally i think i think there's markets for anything now the question of how much money do you need to make to pay your bills, to meet your personal goals? I think that's an important question in terms of like, is this a big business idea? Is this a passive income stream? Is it something for fun? You know, but those are all tactical questions. You know, they're important ones. Um, but I, And I think that's when you start to get into the nuances of what am I doing? How do I want to do it? You know, uh, and I think that what what, what comes before that is... So, you, so if you, like to your point, Sean, you, you realize, okay, I'm in the passenger seat. I recognize that. Maybe it's because I need to ask for permission to take a day off, to go to a funeral because a family member passed away, or maybe I need to, uh, you know, ask for permission to take a longer lunch, or I need to see if I can get a little bit of extra budget to work on something that I know is important. Whatever that friction is, some some people I think are motivated by feeling that constraint and then want to break out of it, and I think other people are motivated by just the positive sense of like I want to be able to take a trip anytime I want, or pick up my kids at school anytime I want, or do something until two in the morning and then sleep in the next day until noon. And so I think some people have that like positive motivation and draw, and some people have more of like a responding to something they don't want to do. Um, but either way, there's some series of events or some series of things that I think finally gets to click for people, uh, and, and may they have that sort of origin story where they're like, okay, I'm going for it, I've got this idea, now I need to like really start pr- pushing this forward and seeing what do I need to do to operationalize this, to execute on this, so that it can really be a thing that starts making me some level of money, um, so that maybe I could do this full-time.
1: Yeah, I... And I would, I would caution people against the idea of, you know, I'm going to start my own business because it's going to make, give me more time. That is absolutely a fallacy. (laughs) As soon as I started my own business and I enjoy doing it full time, I definitely have less time than I did working in a corporate environment. I will say that, you know, and, but it comes in waves, right? Because I do freelance, I can take on some contracts. I can, not take on some contracts and kind of determine my level of work. But you also recognize that when you get the opportunity to have more contracts and you can take them, you definitely want to take them because there's probably going to be a dry period in the future. So that means, you know, I'm working Saturdays and Sundays now full time because that's what I need to do, because I know that I will probably have a drought Um, in the next few months and I need to store some of that money and have a little bit of a bigger bankroll to make that happen. So I want to caution you against the idea that I'm going to start my own business. And somehow you think like you're going to have this fancy lifestyle where you get to jet set wherever you want until you get to a certain level of passive income where you can make that happen. I think there's going to be a lot of work up front for you and just understanding that's what it takes to do that. And I won't say it's for everyone, but if that sounds good, then it's the way out of the regular corporate grind. Yeah,
0: it's a great point. It's an important point to make too. Now I'll say though, you know, the biggest thing is that going from someone else being, expecting that they're going to have you available 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week, going from that to you being able to say how you're spending your time and maybe deciding I'm going to work out in the mornings at maybe nine o'clock, there's a yoga class I want to go to or I'm going to have, you know, An hour in the middle of the day to like make a nice lunch there is a big difference there and so even if you're working just as much when you can freely move your time around the net benefit to that is pretty substantial um, because your assumption isn't that oh I'm at work and then I'll just squeeze in everything I can with my remaining free time Uh, you know instead you can decide even if you're working a lot or a little You do get to decide and you get to maybe just decide your prices and what the trade-offs are associated with that and your ability to to change your income is also unique versus in a you know traditional employment context where you negotiate and then maybe every year there's a conversation about how much you're making and that's typically fairly divorced from like the actual value you're creating for the business because it's pretty hard to complicate or it's pretty hard to calculate with all the moving parts and yeah. so it's like regardless of what I do I'm going to have to wait another 9 months for us to talk about whether or not I can be paid more in order to do this maybe personal thing that I want to do with money you know and so that that I think is a is a major benefit of going on your own too.
1: Yeah, this idea that you suddenly have control of money versus time, right? It's yes. always a it's always a constant struggle of do I take more money this month or do I take more time this month? And you know, for me my next step might be trying to figure out how do I generate more passive income? So then I have to reduce the amount of time I'm working on contracts to free up more time for myself. That allows me to create more, I would call more personal, personal projects, not in the sense of something for me, but something that might, I might be able to turn into more passive income or give me more growth in an area that I was not seeing from my contracts. And I, that you're right. That ability to negotiate that with yourself is, Huge. I I can't emphasize that enough.
0: Yeah, an employer isn't gonna be like, hey, what if we just, you know, if you spend a hundred hours working on this, we'll just give you a thousand bucks a month for the next five years. Like an employer would never do that. (laughs) Whereas if you, you know, really did put a hundred hours into maybe something that could generate that type of money over a long run, you could do that. That's on the table. And so you got to execute on it. It's complicated. But the fact that it's even possible, I think, is meaningful. So you get, you, you get interested in all that stuff. And then I think the next step is about really shifting your mindset and realizing that people that start these businesses, they're not these, you know, elect mega geniuses handed down, you know, descended from heaven to sort of be different than the rest of us. They're just normal like everybody else. And I think everybody has probably had at least some experience with either a senior executive or a business owner where they were making these decisions that were just total head scratchers. Maybe you're closer to the problem and you just understand it differently. And you're like, what the heck? I would do that differently. And I think that humanizing of people who start businesses and you realize that they're just regular people, you know, people, You know, Sean and I were both based in the U.S. People come to this country not speaking a word of English. They start businesses and put, you know, their kids through college learning English along the way. You realize like, okay, there are people who do this that aren't super special. Or if they're special, everybody's special because I could do this too. And then I think you get a little confidence when you realize that. And I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, when you have those experiences at work or, you know, in some other context, It's easy to go into the like well I'm smarter than them or you know I would do that differently I'm so smart but what if it instead the response is just like I'm just as smart as them and maybe I could do this myself too I think that humanizing step is it seems to come up a lot when I'm doing especially coaching with people who before they start their own thing they all seem to have these moments or these meetings or these flashpoints when they remember like oh yeah that's when I realized that
1: the person who runs my business that I work for during the day isn't a genius necessarily. (laughs) Yeah, they don't have all the answers. And I'm seeing a lot of studies come out about this idea of what it means to be a good leader. Um, I am drawing a blank on which exact book I was reading fairly recently, but they were talking about a, a crash landing for a jetliner back in the like, oh my goodness, 60s or 70s. And it was two pilots and somebody who had flight training on a simulator, um, they were managed to land this plane that had like two of it's like, it was like one of its engines was out and they lost control of the, of I think like the rudder. So they couldn't, or the rudder and the, um, I'm gonna munge this word completely, the a- ailerons. Am I saying that correctly? Like, I don't know flight stuff at all, but they, like, basically lost control of the entire plane, and they managed to somehow land it mostly safe, safely, um, losing some passengers, unfortunately. But they would have crashed otherwise, and the whole—everybody would have died. But they worked together not because there was one person calling the shots. They were constantly asking each other questions about— Anybody have any ideas, what do we need to do? And they were open to this feedback thing. And I don't think most, most large organizations still operate under this idea of a hierarchy where we look to that top person to have all the ideas and that's not always the case, right? We, we have a leadership bias in humans in general to, we want to look to other people to have the ideas. And then anybody we put in charge of something, we just kind of assume that they have these ideas that those are correct. And that's not always the case. And as soon as we do that with somebody, a lot of times that person will go, Oh, well, they're just looking for me for direction. And like, I can just give them direction and we create this hierarchy as a result. And, a lot of new studies are coming out that say that that's maybe not the best way to do things. Um, like, you know, you look at like your SEAL teams and how they do that. And it's a lot of, you know, they remove a lot of the, that leadership command where they're not just directing orders. They they say, here's the objective, right? Give people an objective and just let them surprise you with results. And that idea that you're just as smart as these other people, I think, can create um, really good dynamics and allow for people to jump out of that You know, if if you don't like the corporate grind, this is another alternative for you.
0: Totally, and I find some inspiration in some of these women's movements where they're talking about you know taking their power back. You know, in these contexts where there's maybe someone abusing that power, where it's like, yes, you do have the power, you had the power, and now you're taking it back. And I think you know here it's like, yeah, recognize that. You know, again, back to the driver's seat analogy, like you're deferring, and it's okay. Maybe you're in a context where you have to defer, but you are deferring. And what if you decide to not defer the decision-making anymore and say, you know what? No, I'm going to be, I- I'm going to go for it. And, you know, again, these are all, this is all just sort of in your head stuff. But I, when I've talked to people and sometimes it takes people years and years and years to decide they want to make a change for me, it took years and years and years. And so that's why I really think it's worth spending time focusing on this. But when you got all this, Lined up, and you're feeling good about it, and you have support from you know wh- wh- whoever that needs to be, friends or a significant other, and you're ready to go. Uh, then I think the process of getting started it starts to get a little bit easier. Um, you know, personally, I'm a big believer in social commitment. You know, telling people, hey, this is what I'm doing, and you sort of lock yourself in. If you tell enough friends, and especially if they're people you really care about, that you're going to do something, the cost of opting out becomes very high because they're like, what the heck you've been telling me that you were going to do this for the last six months. And, uh, where are things at? So I <laughs> like that idea of social commitment as a way to keep yourself, uh, honest. If you really say that you want to do something.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Like telling people, and you also brought up a good point about this, you know, getting stuff ready. Uh, I always, I always called it paving your runway because you look at people who are like, oh, I quit my day job, as if suddenly you wake up one morning and you, you were gonna quit your day job and you're gonna start this business. And I'm not gonna say that doesn't happen to some people, but I think for most of us who have started our own business, it was a multi-year process of, while we're working in a, comp- while we're working in a corporate job, we are constantly thinking in the back of our minds, or waking up, you have your shower thoughts, you know, you're, you're driving to and from work, whatever it is, you're like, okay, if I do X, Y, and Z, I can prepare myself to be ready to launch, right? When I launch, when I quit my job and finally take that step, there might be some surprises. People might look at you and say, what did you just wake up and suddenly decide to quit? And you're like, no, this has been a five-year thought process that I've been going through and I've been making contacts. I've been telling my people in my social network that I'm going to be doing this to give me, you know, that, that both that credibility as well as that, you know, being held accountable to making this actually happen. And these, you know, for me, it was this like four or five year process of paving my runway, figuring out what I want to do, how I want to do it, making the contact so that eventually you can turn them into potential clients. So that as soon as you do launch, you're like, surprise, I'm full time now um, you know, maybe I've done some work with you on the side. Are you, are you open to me taking on more work? And if you've done good stuff for somebody on the side, you've been moonlighting as this contractor, you know, and your clients love you, then yeah, they'll be like, yes. Oh my goodness. We can use more time from you and they will sign you up for more work. So it's, you know, starting something sometimes isn't this, you know, wake up and do it one day. You know, it is a, this slow transition that might take years as you start to think you know i might have an idea for a business how do i need to go about that making a full-time thing or even a part-time thing if you want to and it might take years for that to come to fruition to even be remotely sustainable or make you money
0: yeah absolutely it takes planning and thinking ahead and you maybe get to the point where you say okay you know maybe you're doing things just as a 1099 contractor or maybe you are doing uh, design work at home and maybe finding manufacturers on Alibaba or something like that. And you get to that point where you're ready to sort of cross the Rubicon and you're ready to take the leap. But before you do that, there, that's when you start to approach the like, legal questions. Like, okay, am I gonna incorporate? What state am I gonna incorporate in? Uh, what you know, How do I wanna think about taxes and write-offs? And what's the corporate structure? Do I have a partner? And there's lots of good resources out there answering those questions. The one point I think I would make here when you start getting into this stage is that every person who starts something or almost every person who starts something that I know, they end up with a support system. They end up with other people who have done it before, but they also have service providers like an attorney, an accountant, who they can lean on and ask questions to help them navigate the process. And everyone who starts a business has that. They have that support structure in place, those social relationships. And, and if you don't know anybody who do, does those things, you can reach out, you can go to a networking event, you can look people up online, you can ask for referrals or recommendations, but know that that's a crucial part of the support that you'll need to get started. And I think that's kind of the little secret that most people don't know. Everyone who's running a business, they have meetings with their lawyers and accountants asking different questions, things that they're not aware of, and most people don't see that. They don't have exposure to that. And then the, you know, the CEO comes back from that meeting with the attorney and says, okay, this is how we should handle it. But they know the answer because they had someone who helped them with that. And so you need to, there's a practice of building up your own network of helpers and the first person to call when something comes up. And so I think that's part of this, before you do that leap, you have those technical questions about legal stuff and paperwork stuff realize that that's how everybody does it and it might require a little bit of money up front but usually that's a good place to spend money too um versus trying to do the diy
1: legal thing oh yeah my i will be completely honest and upfront and say that i am very lucky and very privileged my mom is an accountant and my dad is a notary who has lots of legal knowledge and does a lot of business development development and marketing So for me, that is my support network, you know, it has been crucial that I was able to move back to Louisiana to get their help with things. And they've been an absolute blessing for me to get a lot of that up and running. And I see that definitely being a barrier of entry for people who want to start their own business and don't know how, because yes, you need tax advice. You need legal advice. If, you know, here's your million dollar business idea that I have zero interest and zero capability of creating and that is to make a business that just provides that as i think as we get into more and more people starting their own businesses because i i truly believe that's where the economy is going right we're talking about this gig economy steve case talks about rise of the rest in fact he's going around the country giving money giving vc capital to places not normally associated with startups right he's traveling around to the midwest he's traveling around to you know a lot a lot of parts of the south and the midwest and the east coast you know not the bay area where you have the traditional vc funded technology startups because he sees the economy moving towards startups that are individuals or families creating their own businesses to provide technology in areas that we don't normally see as technologically developed types of things like you know the computer industry out of the bay area like no this is like people need help making more efficient farm equipment and right now they're just relying on john deere to do that and a couple of others but you know what if bob in his basement has an idea for something so you know vc funding is slowly trickling into these types of things to help them get their businesses off the ground so i think there is an absolute need to have this you know service model where you can you know maybe it's a hundred bucks a month and you have access to legal and tax advice right you can call up somebody on a phone and they can, you know, answer those exact questions. Um, because I think a lot of people who start businesses, you know, in my case, and probably yours as well, Harris, like had these contacts in place, people you could lean on to be like, Hey, is it, is it a 1099 that I need to fill out for this? Like what form do I need? How do I register my business? How do I get an EIN from the IRS? Oh, I didn't even know I needed an EIN for my business, right? Like, Otherwise you get screwed and the IRS shows up knocking at your door one day and you're like, I had no idea that was a thing. So I think there is a business model to be had for creating a service to help small businesses with exactly that. Because right now I'm just leaning on family and friends for it.
0: Yeah, I think there's definitely an opportunity there. And I think the bigger point is really an important one which is that i do think it's there's more infrastructure and there's more tools in place that make it easier to do this than ever so assuming you get that legal advice and maybe this company gets started that you're talking about you know for free you can have world-class crm tools you know you get access to email and calendaring software you you know access to git and you know code version control software i mean as a one-person business you can have access to the best tools in the world at a very low cost, a very affordable cost. And, you know, you look at hardware, it's getting easier and easier to build prototypes of hardware between 3D printing, projects like Raspberry Pi and Arduino making it easier than ever. I mean, you you know, th- these... I do think that these this rise-of-the-rest concept is meaningful. I think there are going to be more of these businesses getting started. And I guess, ultimately, if you're in- listening to this show, if you are still here and this has piqued your interest. The question is why not you? Why shouldn't you be one of these people starting one of these interesting little businesses solving one of your own problems? And, you know, I think the thesis that we have, or we believe, I think that there's a lot of people who are going to do that. And that's honestly part of why we're starting the show is that we think that there's people who are going to be interested in these types of questions outside of their expertise. They have the idea, you know, you have some idea outside of that what are just these couple little things you need to piece together in order to get going? Because those couple little things usually aren't as complicated or as scary as they might seem from the outside. And when you do that and you make the leap, um, you enter this different world. And I think that's where, you know, we're hoping to have conversations with people about this on the show and the interviews are going to be about these topics and what other people's journeys have been like. But reach out to Sean and I too, if this is interesting and you don't know where to get started, that's why we're doing this. I think it's for us, it's the stage of things where, you know, we're maintaining our purpose in terms of why we started our businesses. And Sean talked about passive income and getting more sophisticated with that. I think the last part of this is that giving back matters, finding ways to help other people do the same thing. And I think that's where Sean and I get really excited talking to other creators and technical folks who really can do it and just kind of giving that them that little boost that little encouragement maybe that one piece of advice that that one question that, that was mystifying them um and and that's really i think why we're excited to be doing the show and talking to each other besides the fact that we like talking to each other <laughs> yeah lots of good ideas to bounce off each other <laughs> exactly so that wraps up our formal discussion around this
1: today uh sean i don't know if you had anything else you wanted to weigh in on this I think this was a lot of good information, but it was a overview, right? There's a lot of in-depth things we could get into, but those are definitely things we have planned for other shows. So we wanted this to be more of an overview, 50,000 foot model of what we're going to be covering and... Hopefully something like this appeals to you if you're thinking about running your own business, whether it's a side project or jumping into full-time. Absolutely, and Sean, do you wanna give a little preview of some of the marketing stuff you're planning on talking about and then I could talk about the sales side? Sure, I am mostly into doing content marketing, which is just, you, know, you create blog posts, you create videos. I mostly do videos and interacting with people on social media. I will be honest and say that I don't know the paid advertising world very well you know, running Google ads, running Facebook ads. I've dabbled a little bit in Facebook ads. So I am not by any means an expert in that, but we will be talking about that. Hopefully we will get some people on the show who might know that a little more and we can ask them some questions that hopefully help other people if they are interested in paid models. But I wanna get more into some of your content marketing. You know, how do you navigate the world of social media? If you read any marketing blogs, they will just constantly tell you that, Social is the way forward, social is the future, and I'm sure whatever next platform is out there, they will tell you the same thing, but you know, we're finding some things now that, you know what? Email marketing is still probably the hottest way to get your high click-through rates, right? And I wanna get into why is that the case? How do you go about building an, an email list or how do you go about trying to find more followers or even how do you monetize your followers, right? Whether that's you're trying to get paid sponsorship for content you're doing, or that is you want to just ask your followers to buy something or sign up for something. And that can be a little daunting for people, um, but I will tell you that it takes time to build your following list, your followers. It definitely does. And you know, you've know you built this for businesses that you've been within, but you've
0: also now done it as a contractor for businesses that you're helping with companies at all different sizes. And I think that experience is going to help. And I think it's going to help people too that have already started businesses. So if you're generally interested in these topics and you think you've got a lot more to learn, but you've already started your own business, the plan here is that we're going to have content that we ourselves are looking forward to learning about, too. And some of the guests that we bring on, we're going to be selfishly wanting to learn from them ourselves, and we hope you like the conversation, too. But if nothing else, we'll just get something out of it, and that'll be fine, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all right and, with that. Yeah. And you know, on the sales side, we're going to be talking about sales pipeline, finding new customers, product market fit. You know, how do you go through that process of figuring out where the right market is what the right prices are for that market how do you bundle your product you know is it do you have a software and hardware sort of integrated thing is there services that support that um, the sales cycle how do you follow up with customers without being annoying focusing on that value creation uh, during the sales cycle so that you're really sort of being a, a helper to the customer and helping inform them and helping them make a decision. Uh, so there's just, and I guess broadly, I would just sort of categorize that type of stuff as go-to-market. And so there's going to be a lot of conversations around go-to-market uh, from a sales perspective, too. And, you know, what are your sales meetings look like? Hitting those numbers, making maybe your first sales hire... Um, if you've got an e-commerce business, but you want to grow those sales a little bit, um, maybe in-person activation, going to events or fairs. Um, so all of those different things are going to be things that we're talking about in the show in the weeks and months to come. We'll be bringing in experts to help us with it. And we'll be exploring some of it ourselves. Uh, so thanks for tuning in and stay tuned. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and share the show. Let us know what you think on Twitter at HelloBlinkShow. Find show notes at HelloBlinkShow.com. The Hello Blink Show is shared under a CC by 4.0 license by Skalriza, LLC and Kenny Consulting Group, LLC. The intro and outro music is Routine by Amin Maxwell and is shared under a CC by 3.0 license. This song can be found at SoundCloud.com slash Amin Maxwell slash Routine.
1: Yeah. Sorry, Once my oh, dog good. is, like, staring at himself in the mirror just, like, <laughs> for, like, five full minutes, not doing anything, just staring at himself. Sorry, I, no, I've no never problem. seen him do that.
0: <laughs> and maybe he's,
1: uh,
0: he's uh, achieving, uh, like, cognition, like, self-recognition <laughs> and everything.
1: I, I guess he just realized he was there. Oh, my goodness, that was weird.
0: <laughs> oh, funny. Funny, funny, funny.